Hello, everyone, and welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast, the new podcast I've started that goes along with my new book, which releases on September 7th. What you're about to hear is an actual interview that I had with Pastor Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Redding, California. I've literally known Bill Johnson for years. I consider him a close friend, and we went into a lot of depth. You're going to hear the actual interview. I used it in the book, and I used, in fact, about 20 different interviews that I'm now repurposing on God and cancel culture. You may have already heard this on the Strang Report. This is the literal interview, which has a lot more information than the book, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Strang Report with Steve Strang on the Charisma Podcast Network. This episode was produced to discuss and address issues within our nation and around the world from a Christian worldview. Bill, I know that Bethel Church and you personally have taken stands on some issues there in California. Can you tell me how that came to be and why you did so? Oh, we have a responsibility. We just we have a responsibility before God, and we have a responsibility that if you love people and they're in the second story of a burning building, you got to let them know. And it's not uh, you can't make up excuses. Uh, we need to do it with grace and kindness and love and and uh, but loving people chooses the best. And so um, it's just a mandate that we have from the Lord uh, to represent Him well with what He values. And that means some of them are uh, in decrees, things that we, statements that we make. Uh, It's always in actions, but it's got to be followed by real love and compassion for people. That has to be at the heartbeat of all of it. But it really comes down to, uh, we just have a responsibility if we've been called into the positions we're in to love people well, to serve them well, to give them adequate warnings and uh, also instructions on how to do life. And that's That's what we've embraced as our assignment. Well, Bill, you're part of the Pentecostal movement going back several generations. And Pentecostals, as a group, have tended to be kind of passive, to talk about getting saved, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, getting ready for heaven, for the rapture. And, you know, while I haven't been close enough to you or your church, you know, specifically, when I started hearing and reading that you were starting to... comment on things and the one thing that comes to my mind is that bill that would have maybe even outlawed the bible am i remembering that correctly and uh, you and some other people went and talked to the legislator and i guess he withdrew the bill but you know some of that stuff to me just sounds so crazy and so when i started hearing about you speaking up about it i you know my attitude was you know good for you i'm glad to hear that how did why don't you just elaborate a little bit? I probably did not describe it right. No, you, you did fine. Um, it comes down to this. The Pentecostal movement, as you've uh, acknowledged, has not been active on this, has been passive. Part of the reason is um, we actually have greater faith for the return of Christ than we do in the power of the gospel. And it's not either or. We have to have our anchor in the power of the gospel that is to change things now. And when you have in your belief system that things will get worse and worse and that we barely survive, there's really little motivation to try to bring societal change, to bring reformation, to bring the truths of Scripture into practical human living. 
And, uh, and we just don't, we don't buy into that. I do believe strongly in the return of Christ, but he's coming back for something. He's coming back for a victorious bride. And, and, you know, if he doesn't come in my lifetime, I still have a responsibility to serve and to love this world well. Jesus taught how to do life. He taught how to do money. He taught how to do business. He taught how to do family. He taught how to do a community. He taught all the things that we need right now. And if we ignore that because we want to go home to heaven, then we're being irresponsible. Well said. You know, this last year has been a year like no other. I mean, that goes without saying. COVID, the lockdown, all the restrictions in our country, but more specifically with churches. I mean, who would have ever thought, at least I didn't, that the church would be called non-essential and where the government actually tried to put fines on churches for merely holding services. Yeah. But what was it like to pastor through 2020, especially out there in California, where you seem to have a government and a governor who are just hostile toward churches? Yeah, it really is a crazy season, an unexpected season. And I, I, we, we have just been really warned of the Lord to, uh, to, to really get into the system, not be afraid of politics, get in and serve well. It is strange to have the church considered non-essential. And uh, we have worked really hard with our local authorities um, to do what is responsible uh, in this pandemic, but also to maintain the values that we have uh, as, uh, as leaders, as a church family. And, uh, and we've, you know, we've, we've walked in good uh, standing with the city, in good counsel with the health leaders, uh, they sometimes differ from the governor, which has been helpful for us uh, in many ways. But, uh, but you know, we've tried to be responsible citizens, but also responsible for the Lord to love and to serve people well. And there's a whole other side of this issue. The people have been struggling with depression and financial issues and all kinds of stuff in the home uh, under this mandated uh, lockdown. It's just crazy. It's it's just insanity um, that that this would be logical to our government, and uh, so it, it saddens me to see these decisions made. But I am encouraged that uh, many believer believers are rising up, not just uh, verbalizing what they don't like, but actually providing solutions. And uh, you know, it, it is we've been seeing many, many, many miracles of healing, including with COVID and other issues. And, uh, and we've just, the church has got to return to the power of the gospel. Uh, we need it now more than ever. And uh, so that's been kind of our approach is to honor our city government. We have really meaningful relationships there, but also most importantly, honor the Lord um, by serving the church well. And that's what we've committed ourselves to do. You know, I want to dive into that a little bit more and ask what your view is. What is a kingdom way to both stand with the government in their God-given roles and also to resist unjust rules and laws like we were referring to where they even, you know, I followed the news, but now that I'm having to rely on my memory, it's not that good. It was like maybe only 10 people and you couldn't have a Bible study, you know, down in Florida where I live. Things have been pretty open, and our governor has been very supportive of the church, uh, specifically said that it was essential. 
But how in the world did you put up with that? And, and how do we resist those kinds of things yet still respect the authorities like you're referring to? You know, we, we're we in a strange position in that we really have created a momentum of discipling a city for many, many years. And uh, we felt a responsibility to pay attention to our civil leaders. At the same time, I have many friends who pastor in town. Their churches continue to meet, but they're not the focal point of the media. They're not the focal point of the news. They're not the focal point of uh, public criticism. And we felt that our responsibility was to uh, follow the policies the best we knew how, but also to make our presence known and to train our people to have the meetings in homes. And so we ignored all policies that said people couldn't meet in homes and that sort of thing. We actually worked hard to to support and to kind of fuel or um, empower the people to meet in homes. And we've had tremendous, tremendous breakthrough as a result. And as soon as things started to open up, um, we were uh, quick, of course, to meet together once again. We would meet out in public. We put a tent up months ago because they don't restrict outside meetings. And so in the winter, the cold of winter, uh, we had night after night after night meetings and prayer meetings and and just really crying out to God. And just the glory of the Lord has come in ways we've not seen in a very, very long time. But, you know, it's, it's, a weird, uh, it's a weird situation. We felt like we were supposed to humble ourselves and go back to our raw beginnings of prayer meetings in a tent, in uh, poor weather, uh, inclement weather, and uh, children would be brought. We would gather together in that way. And we felt like the Lord was just kind of reestablishing some of our foundation. You know, it's uh, just the it's, it's the Rocky Three movie where where um, the trainer told uh, Rocky before if I said we become too civilized, and we just kind of sometimes you just can know too much and can be too accustomed to comfort, and we felt that we were just supposed to humble ourselves, return to the sawdust trail, so to speak, get in this tent, no sides to the tent, very cold, very challenging conditions, and yet we showed up. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would show up day after day after day and cry out to God. And, uh, and it really has provided a breakthrough for us. And we are back in, in corporate gatherings now. We are at about 50% capacity, and we're inching our way to full capacity. So, and, and this is just because of the request of our city. Our city would like for us to do 25% or 35%. So we're staying a little bit ahead of what, what they would prefer. But at the same time, we're, we're keeping in communication and in a place of honor. Plus, we have a very good tracking system. If anybody comes down with COVID, uh, the way our, our, our meetings and gatherings from our school, et cetera, we're, we're able to trace things back in a very responsible way. And, uh, and the city has, has been... Uh, very encouraged with our uh, kind of our, I guess you'd say our diligence, our our efficiency in being able to track things for them. So we're trying to help the city at the same time. They're in a tough place because they're under the pressure from the government in Sacramento, and and uh, we're so we're we're trying to we're trying to honor them at the same time, take care of our people. So we've been working on both ends of this thing, and I, while we've not always chosen what I would do, I mean the people around me would do whatever I say. But I've, I've had to listen to the counsel, the advice of our teams, and I feel like we've done well. You know, we've done well. Um, I have very little respect for some of the decisions that government has made just on a personal individual level. 
but uh, it can't be about my opinions. It has to be about what's best for our church and what's best for our city. And I think we've made it through that storm. Uh, well, I, I, I'm shocked at how well uh, we've done. And the people are, are, have been so responsible and so diligent. I mean, I don't know how it happens, but a church that's closed for as long as we were closed, I don't know how the giving goes up, but it did. And uh, the, the effect of people in the communities and the small groups and, you know, all the stuff that we believe about the church being, you know, where the Lord shows up when there's two or three gathered in his name, uh, we got the big test of how well we believe that. And, uh, and we have really, really good fruit for it. So I'm, I'm really encouraged. But we're also at the end of our kind of our tolerance of, of, that, uh, of that mandate and uh, are diligently pursuing with counsel, with wisdom, uh, how to get the group back together. And so it's increasing weekly right now, and we're encouraged by it. Well, good. And I've so admired your church over the years, how especially how you reacted after the forest fires, how you minister, how you teach your people to minister in so many settings. And during the lockdown, I know that you were live streaming your services because at our house, we watched them many Sundays. And I think every once in a while you turn the camera and you could see the auditorium was empty and all the singers were standing over six feet apart, but they were great services. And, and I have a couple of questions to ask you about cancel culture, but before I do, uh, Tell me about your live streaming. I'm, I'm guessing that you got a huge audience around the country. Yeah, we've had, uh, we have our Bethel TV we've had for a long years. And we have um, our YouTube uh, channel, which they, they were uh, simultaneous. And we've had a, a pretty significant audience. We have, I think, 500,000 people uh, signed up for our Bethel TV. Maybe it's the combination of TV and YouTube. But it's it's a pretty significant number, and uh, and it did increase, and especially at the beginning of the lockdown. You know, people were so desperate, and uh, unfortunately, many churches weren't ready to broadcast online, and so um, so some people in the sound and film industry had brilliant ideas of putting packages packages together to help some of the smaller churches uh, to be able to stream their services for their church family, which was brilliant. And, and much, much needed. But for a season, you know, we were, at least for some people, we were the only ones, the only uh, connection to life and church services that they had. And so we had a lot of people, a lot of people watching. We had many, we had 10 people saved this last week online, just online, uh, people, conversions, uh, miracles galore, unusual stories of people, uh, lives being changed just from watching online, um, really people coming out of comas, um, all kinds of um, amazing things happen just through an online service. So we've, we've had to relook at what God is ready and willing to do. I've always believed he could do it and somewhat would do it, but never to the level we've seen this last year. So we've, we've really had to reevaluate what we do. Um, and there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, Bethel TV or the YouTube, that's their lifeline. And uh, so we, we really tried to prioritize honoring that, that place that it has in so many people's lives. And, and quite frankly, we've been very, very encouraged from the fruitfulness of it. Well, good. That's great. 
Yeah. Uh, as for my final question, or maybe series of questions, my book is called God and Cancel Culture. Yes. And I just want to ask you if you've had, you or Bethel have been canceled, taken off Twitter, YouTube. I'm just looking for stories. Oh, goodness. Um, we are still on uh, YouTube. They haven't canceled us. Um, I've had personal things uh, taken off and restricted. Uh, my wife has had things uh, shut down uh, for a season. We have many on our teams, uh, our pastoral staff. Their stuff has been taken off of uh, like Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Yeah, that's happened to a lot of our folks. What were some of the things that were taken down and did they give you any reason why? Oh, it, it's against their company policy. You know, it's always the reason, uh, which is which is silly. Uh, some of the posts that were made, you know, if you make any kind of a post that maybe supports Trump or maybe supports uh, Supreme Court relooking at uh, uh, the voter election fraud issues or, you know, any of those kinds of things, um, they, they can shut you down and just say it's against public policy. Or if you say something against a, maybe a bill that's uh, being, that's up before Congress or Senate, you know, they'll call it hate speech or something. Even if you just present facts, even if you just, you know, you're, you're not uh, lashing out at anybody, not accusing anybody, they can just call it hate speech. And it's, it's really crazy what they can get away with. They, they have a power that nobody has had before uh, in, in the history of our country to control what people hear and what people read. It's really, really quite sobering. And uh, we, we've got to wake up as a country because this is, this is it. Well, you're right. It affects everyone in the country, yeah. not just Christians. I'm most concerned with how it's affecting religious freedom, where they're actually in the process of outlawing certain things that the Bible very specifically teaches. In fact, you just wonder how long it's going to be before they outlaw the Bible or try to. And that's what I'm concerned about. So how do you think that the church and individual Christians can stand up about this? And maybe I should also ask you where you think all this is going. Well, it depends on who's in charge. Right now with our present regime, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply concerned about the goals and the ambitions of, of the far left. I do think they're trying to work their way into the Bible being labeled as hate speech. I, I have felt that, though, for the last 20 years, that there's just slow progress towards that outcome. And uh, so what, uh, several things is the church has to get rid of this notion that we are not to be involved in politics. I do agree we're not supposed to be a political party. I, I get concerned with some of the expressions that I see from believers. But to be honest, I'd rather see excess on that level than no involvement at all. And uh, we've got to get rid of the notion that uh, we just, uh, you know, let things be as they are and the sovereign God will do what he wants to do. That's just really a foolish way to approach life, especially in a country where each ind- uh, individual citizen is given responsibility to, to choose and to select. And our silence is a choice. It actually empowers the voice of those who are willing to stand up and to speak lies. I mean, so some of the things that are before our legislators right now is just absolute insanity. It would have been considered insanity 
10 years ago. And uh, anytime you empower a five-year-old child to decide he's no longer a boy, he's a girl, and uh, to start giving him medical treatment, um, you know, and, and the parents aren't involved, they have no authority, no power in that, that is absolutely unheard of that that would be considered reasonable. And yet we have, we have people in leadership that thinks that's logical right now. And, um, and, you know, we have to make our voice heard. It's not wise to do it through accusation, through anger, through resentment, through threats. That's not smart. We need to have, if, if you're going to drive an evil spirit out of a house, you've got to replace it with something good. For me, that means we want to oppose the things that are evil, but we have to have understanding on what to replace it with. Because if we if we don't have solutions and answers, the enemy does come back. Well, scripture says seven times worse. So we've got to have, uh, yes, I'm against uh, abortion. And so we're working hard in adoption agencies. We're working hard with other ways to care for and to uh, serve single moms. And so yet we, we have to not just be against something. We have to actually have to have the answers or solutions that really satisfy the heart of the majority of our nation anyway. You know, nobody wants, uh, at least a lot of people would probably be opposed to certain things if they just realized we as the people of God would have solutions and not just criticize stuff, but actually come with, with, uh, with possibilities that, that could help make our cities better. So anyway, that's that's really what we're trying to give ourselves to is not just point out to what we think is wrong. You know, empower people to be in office, uh, you know, make room for them to to serve public service as as a spiritual assignment. It's uh, it's as spiritual as any pastoral calling or calling for an evangelist or missionary. When someone is called to serve in a public office, that's a spiritual calling. And it's not just a christianize the nation it's to bring the principles of the kingdom into into play because it's uh, you know the bible says uh, that he jesus is the desire of the nations which tells me everybody wants a king like jesus they just don't know it and so they they love it when our family life works they love it when business works they love it with the creativity they love all the outflow and uh, and so we've got to present this in a way where people see that we're not just complaining against stuff, but we actually have solutions and answers that we'd like for them to consider. So that's been our approach. That's uh, that's what we're trying to give ourselves to. I so appreciate Bill Johnson taking time. The information that he gave me will be very valuable in the book. I'm working very hard right now trying to get the book done by the deadline. It will release the day after Labor Day. You can actually pre-order it on amazon.com and i hope you'll do that i hope you'll recommend it to friends now earlier i told you i'd tell you a little bit about bill johnson you know his father a pastor bethel it was bethel assembly back then it was considered a great church when my family and i lived out in california in fact my sister karen actually interned there when she was a when she was a student at uh, Bethany Bible College. And I'd never visited the church, but I remembered Karen talking about it. So I was familiar with that church long before Bill became pastor. Now, Bill and I happened to be the same age, and he was living in Reading. My family lived in Santa Cruz, which, I don't know, a couple hundred miles away at least. 
And we each attended a camp sponsored by the Assemblies of God for young adults. A lot of times summer camps are for children and teenagers, but this was more of a discipleship type camp. It was not too far from Santa Rosa. It was up in the Redwood Mountains. It was a beautiful place, as I recall. I would have been 20 years old. I was on fire for God. You know, I had some rebellion, I guess you'd call it, and some questions about my Christianity, but all that was resolved. I was turned around. I was on fire for God, and I was eager for this discipleship. Now, the teachers there were uh, Winky Prattney, Tony Salerno, Joy Dawson. These were people I did not know until that week. I have actually stayed in touch with all those people over the years and consider them friends today. And the speaker that week on the last night, kind of the culminating night, was a young, fiery evangelist named Mario Morello. He had a ministry called Resurrection City in Berkeley, which was kind of a hotbed for radicalism and leftist thought. And he preached a powerful message. In fact, that entire week was powerful. And and God performed a healing miracle on my back. I had an injury on my back when I was a kid. And it was never really, really serious, but I injured a vertebrae or something. And sometimes I would just have excruciating pain. And I guess sitting on those wood benches or whatever they were, my, I was really in bad shape. And the Lord healed me. And do you know, all these years later, Mario Murillo remembers that service. I have enjoyed good health over the years. And so for me, that was absolutely the most dramatic uh, healing I ever had. And also the Lord touched me in a deep, deep way. And when I look back on my life at pivotal experiences with God, I look at that week as one of the pivotal weeks. And the reason I mention it now is that Mario Murillo told me uh, recently that Bill Johnson, who was also 20 years old at the time, was at the same camp. Now, I had not lived in California long. I didn't know a lot of the young people. I, I think there were one or two from the church that I attended down in Santa Cruz. I did not know Bill Johnson. You know, maybe I met him. I don't know. But we didn't know each other. And when I contacted Bill and asked him, I said, were you at this camp? He said, yes. And he thought it was pretty cool that both of us were there. And Mario told me that a couple of the other uh, young people, again, people I don't know and didn't keep up with, became missionaries. And who knows what happened to the rest of the young people. It seems to me there were maybe 100, maybe 125 young people there. And uh, that's a very personal experience. I've not had occasion or a reason to really share it publicly, but it means a lot to me personally. And after my interview with Bill, uh, I thought that I'd share it with my listeners. And if you listen this long through the podcast, I assume that you were interested. As I often say, share the podcast with others. There are people who need to hear what he had to say and look forward to my new book, God and Cancel Culture. Again, you can pre-order it on Amazon.com. And tune in again tomorrow. It's people like you who keep coming back that make my podcast numbers go. And just a week or so ago, we passed the milestone, 10 million downloads. I would have 
never thought it would happen, but the Lord has blessed. And I guess we've connected with people like you who want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I certainly believe that Bethel Church is one of the best examples in America. They're teaching this. They're teaching their people how to impact their community. They send people out, their young people out, and they actually pray for the sick and see miracles. It's amazing. I've had occasion to visit there several times and published Bill's book recently. And now as I'm writing this book, I felt that what he had to say about cancel culture, and he actually, you know, told some examples himself, as you heard, uh, would really add it. So thank you again for listening to The Strang Report on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Stephen Strang. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Strang Report with Steve Strang. To read more from Steve, visit his blog, The Strang Report, on charismamag.com. Again, it's The Strang Report on charismamag.com. Well, I hope my interview with Bill Johnson made you want to read the book. It comes out on September 7th. You can pre-order on amazon.com. They ship it out that day and don't charge your credit card until then. If you would like it a little earlier than that, and if you'd like a autographed copy, you can get it from stevestrangbooks.com. That's my own website. Uh, whenever it comes in from the printer, which is like maybe a month earlier, we'll ship it out, and I sign every book that we sell on stevestrangbooks.com. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for helping us get the word out on this very important new book, Guide in Cancer Culture. God bless you.